Welcome to devmo.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Jennifer Bloomberg from Next Solutions in New York. I'm Ryan Ireland from CraftQuest.io. And today we have on Eugene, an InfoSec consultant. How are you doing, Eugene? I'm fine, thanks. And are you, I know you're in the InfoSec world, so it's lots of mystery and cloak and dagger, but are you able to disclose your location even generally? Yes, I'm in Europe, Romania. There is nothing uh, to hide. So <laughs> Nothing to hide. All right, cool. So we have you on here today, Eugene, because we wanted to ask you about InfoSec and kind of curious about what that is. So if you are off in the Yucatan in Mexico and you're trying to buy a Jaguar whistle from a salesman at uh, Chichen Itza, and he asked you, you know, what is InfoSec anyway? What would you tell him? Um, he's blowing the whistle. He's getting impatient. He's blowing it in your ear. You want to give him an answer to, to shut him up. So what, what is InfoSec? Something that protects you from something. So it's kind of the, the like when I think of InfoSec, I think of kind of the, the cloak and dagger of the computer world where hackers are constantly trying to break into stuff and people are trying to prevent them from doing it. So you're one of the guys that is trying to prevent people from breaking into stuff. Is that right? Correct. So to give you a bit of background, basically the security things are for me like a hobby mm. and it's been 20 years with this hobby and more and more in the past few years, <laughs> I got to get working on security projects. It's not always what you hear about. In my world, it's it's a different other story. I mean, there are a lot of parts related to security. It's not only someone that tries to break you and someone that tries to fix or protect. It's uh, I've been in different roles, starting with security operations, so which basically is that part where when there is an incident, you need to identify the source and how that issue appears. So, and I'm not speaking only about application here. It can be, uh, let's say someone lost his computer that has some personal and confi confidential things. So you need to remote wipe that computer, things like that. Or can be to identify how an application got broken and how someone was able to get inside of a company. Uh, and it's not always that bad. Mm. Um, for me, it's time consuming. And I've been on both sides of the of this. So oh, so you were you were a black hacker at some point too, breaking into stuff. Is that what you're telling me? Uh, no, no, no. I'm telling you that I know how is how is to be on the company side that someone breaks you and you need to understand how the hell did that happen. Got and it. I've also uh, was able to be on the other part as the person that breaks. So I kind of know that both, both stories. Yeah. Know. So, I mean, I was kidding, but it's actually not crazy because there are a lot of people that start out as hackers mm -hmm. and either they get caught or, or whatever, and then they end up being security consultants. Like it's right, a thing, right. you know, a lot of people it have is. heard of that movie, Catch Me If You Can, and John mm -hmm. Abagnale ended up being a consultant for the FBI. And there are other cases of famous mm -hmm. hackers who ended up becoming, because they know it so much better, you know? Yeah. yeah. And now it's more more and more like this. So if you are an attacker and you are able to break in some company and you can prove yourself, then there is a high chance you can get hired. And I think it's, it's good. I mean, it's not like 10 years ago when someone was doing something and you could, you can, uh, you could have 
the police at your door. So now it's a bit different. Well, it depends on the scale of what you do, right? I mean, there are some things you could definitely still have the police at your door, right? Uh, Definitely, yeah. 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 But I think it's more simple now. If you want to break something, for example, if you want to try to hack PayPal or Yahoo, you can do it. I mean, they have programs and they have a scope and they give you some endpoints and you can attempt to do whatever you want there. And if you find anything... You can get paid, which is mm-hmm. which is better, I think, than doing stuff by your own. And I mean, I bet there are guys that do it this way and the other way where they can get caught and have big problems. Depends so on an... depends on what target you you pick. So that's an interesting question to me because I, I so my, my background, I mean, I do know a little bit about the way kind of the, the underground works, or at least used to work in the kind of hacking into stuff world. And I can get into that later if anyone's interested, but I do know there's, there's a little bit going on back there, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm, what I'm curious about is, is it better as a consultant to be someone that is hired by companies to try and penetration test their software or their website or whatever? Or can you actually make money by just doing it randomly and yep. then trying to get a bounty? Like it would seem like the bounty way just it seems like that would not be a wonderful way to make a living. But I, I don't really know. Yeah, I can answer uh, on that topic. So there are guys that now do bug bounty full time. And there are a couple of them that are millionaires. So mm-hmm. it's if you are good enough, you can you can make a living out of this. So there are a lot that do this these days. But for me, I wouldn't quit my job and uh, <laughs> day to day uh, things right. because it's tough it's tough mm. to to be to 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 make a living only out of this because you can get lucky you can make 10ks 20ks in one night but mm. it, you can have months when you don't find anything so it it depends it depends how good you are uh, and well, it- I, It sounds to me kind of like being a gold prospector in a way. Like back in the day, hundreds of years ago, the gold rush, you go out there with your pan and it's just this grueling, terrible hard work. But every now and again, someone's going to strike it rich and discover like the thing that will make them rich for life, you know? And it sounds like this would kind of be that way and that you've got to be sifting through a whole bunch of stuff, trying to get like the the golden prize. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's similar. I think think there are, I mean, the guys that I follow and I look what they post and what what they do they have at least five years doing only this so it's it's a different story but maybe last two years there are more more guys or girls i don't know that i maybe they are not so experienced but they have a lot of time Mm. Uh, and (laughs) i mean i cannot beat I cannot compete with someone that has 16 hours per day to spend on hacking. No, I mean, it doesn't make sense. But I think I can compete with the experience that I have. So Sure. Nobody has more time than anybody else, right? It doesn't matter who you are. You have the same amount of time. It's how you are going to choose to spend that. And I understand, like, I wouldn't want to spend 16 hours a day working at a corporate job. Like, that just wouldn't, that, that would not... I, I couldn't do it. It wouldn't work for me. Like, I totally get it. I think maybe I should mention about the age also because I'm 36. 
I wouldn't put a lot of time on this mm. anyway. But there are uh, kids 13, 15 years old that are rich already and they have the time to, they don't care about school. They don't need to, for us and for me, it's a bit different, right. uh, this, this thing. Well, it's easier when you're younger. I mean, I know because I started yeah. my yeah. business when I was in my teens. Like I started doing computer work for money when I was in my teens. And when you're living at home with your parents, like you have, you, you've got yeah. such a free ride. You have no expenses, you know? So you have zero overhead and all the time in the world, as you're mentioning, like you and, can just do and no pressure, no pressure. And no, no pressure. Yeah. No family, no kids, no. I mean, it's, it's a different story. Yeah. I mean, I would like to have what's now 20 years ago on mm. this scene, but it is what it is. <laughs> right. You cannot turn back the time. Well, so let's get into what okay. you actually typically do do. So for a typical job, I would imagine you're hired by a company and it's probably going to be one of two things. It's either going to be help penetration tests to make sure that everything is secure. And that's kind of like a, a maintenance kind of thing. And then the, on the other hand, it will be, we've been compromised. Oh crap come in and evaluate what went wrong. Is that right? Is it usually one or the other of those? And then uh, describe how those work. No, I think no? it's not, at, at least for me, it's not. I mean, I'm not the, that kind of guy that does this for a living, but others that do bug bounties and penetration tests. Yeah, I think that's the correct way. For me, mm. I'm, I'm in consulting. I do DevOps mainly and security security mm. operations and mm. on the security uh, part mainly i spend quite some time on threat modeling applications so i have discussions with developers and i try to give them pointers depending on what they do there i tell them look you should avoid doing that so that's threat modeling basically before in i'm in the process when the application is developed and I'm able to discuss with developers and I'm aware a bit of what they do and whatever can get exposed to the internet. Then I can say, look, you have inputs and outputs. Basically, wherever in the browser you input something, you need to be cautious, which was the I, case. I've gone for... from being cautious to completely not trusting anything that is coming <laughs> from the browser, you know, based on what, it, what has happened. So do you, are you doing code reviews or are you just giving them best practices or? Yeah. I do code reviews also, mm. uh, best practices. Actually, in the threat modeling world, you have defined some methods, for example, CSS, cross-site scripting, or, or other methods. So I'm just trying to say, look, these are the methods that can appear in this portion. So then I am trying to to help them don't miss things there. And then, so this is like in the software development part. And once the application is ready, I I can do pen testing and mm. try to break it from the, I don't know, browser and so on. So you go in there and you, it sounds like you do code reviews, but you also do kind of education because you can be a really good developer, but still be very naive. Yeah, about so, the type of things that people might try to do to break your stuff, right? To be honest, I'm not a developer. I mean, I don't spend time developing, but I understand the code a bit. I mean, I, right. So if I don't get it, I can ask, but I never consider developing because I don't know, maybe I don't like it too much. Right, but so. you, but you aid. <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, Everyone's sorry, here. Sorry. Everyone here is just like, yeah, we don't like it either. either <laughs> for a living. But, so 
So this kind of Jennifer, this reminds me of my son to an extent. Like he's he's only nine, and so he doesn't understand the way things work. But man, does he probe stuff, presses every button, and and so he's discovered stuff just by probing around and doing stuff that I didn't even know existed. Like I had no idea that some of this stuff was a thing. But Jennifer, when you're developing stuff is infosec or security ever something that is forefront in your mind or does it depend on the project or or how does that work for you um yeah it's always at the forefront because most of the work that i do is with clients who have sensitive information to protect Mm. and i am aware that the internet is kind of a wild wild west where people can go and rattle your door handle and check and see if they can break into your house. And if they can do that, well, they're pretty much going to be able to get away with it. There have been so few cases where people have been caught and punished for doing such a thing. Even in my own experience, we had one obscure donation page that someone in Brazil discovered and was using it to check stolen credit cards. Uh, Once Mm. we discovered it, we reported the IP to, I can't remember who it was, whoever was responsible for it. They did absolutely nothing. So I'm aware that we kind of have to have our own private security to make sure that nothing bad happens to it. And we're talking very, very sensitive data, like data on children and their health Mm. and things like that. So it's something that we lose sleep at night over. Um, We we pay an outside firm to do penetration testing and we try to train the clients as well, you know, things like don't leave your laptop open at a coffee shop, those kind of things that they can help with. But Don't make your password be password yeah. one, two, three. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So all of these things are top of mind, but it's kind of like an arms race that I'm not very comfortable with because there's always something new to worry about. Um, mm. That's why this conversation is very interesting to me because I feel like we're probably not doing what we should be doing, even though I think we do a lot more than what most people do. Eugene, how much of what you do Piggybacking on what Jen was talking about, how much of what you do is proactive, like Jen was talking about, like they do, um, versus reactive, like when there is a problem? Are you more, you're consulting more into trying to proactively prevent companies from having problems? Yeah, yeah. this this is a good question. So yeah, definitely I'm on the proactive side of things, but even with all the protections and all the measures that take, there is always something that appears. So I mean... It's it's tough. You cannot. I haven't found the secret sauce to say like that to to be fully protected because mm. every time something appears. But if you were talking yeah. to that guy who was selling you that Jaguar whistle and he wanted you to put a percentage on it, how much of the work that you do is preventative mm. and how much of it is reactionary after the the intrusion has already happened? Mm. I think 70, 80 percent is preventive. Mm. Okay, uh, but. Maybe it's because of this company that I do consulting because they are in business that it's very important to have the right controls and measures to to stop any kind of attack. Um, And is your your work that you do, Eugene, is that in conjunction with an existing IT team? I know a lot of people have, you know, there's like a lot of companies have, obviously they have IT teams, but sometimes they also have people with domain expertise in IT security. Do you come in and kind of augment that or you, or do you mostly work with software development teams? No, no, no. So depends. I mean, I've been in different roles, either in the security operations, SecOps, Mm -hmm. and there, there was a team that mainly was trying to 
prevent and solve whatever issues appear. And mm. that team also trying to make sure there were enough tools to to protect so the proactive side of things. Uh, so that's one part. And I've also been in teams like application security, and that's more on the development process. Now it depends. I, I guess I got lucky with this company that I was able to shift from different roles. You know what I'm interested, both Ryan and I, are very much interested in the belly of the beast. So the belly of the beast is kind of the the dark underside of the the world. So what I'm curious about, I'm going to give you my understanding about this, but what I want to know is like, why are people doing this? What do they get out of hacking? We all read in the news about all of these databases have been leaked and all this information's been leaked. These credit cards have been leaked, you know, et cetera, et cetera. My understanding about the way that some of this works. And a lot of it is very dated. So I'm curious to hear your updated take on it. But my understanding is there's almost like a bizarro world of what you do, where there are bounties for exploits, for instance, where on the black market, people will get paid for exploits that can hack into various things. And those you can actually sell those things, whether it's an iPhone hack or whether it's mm-hmm. uh, you know a particular version of Linux or whatever. Is that the way that it works? Is that there's sort of a, a black market where people are doing the opposite of what you're doing like literally yes. you but from the opposite angle definitely there is a black market i'm this from what i've been reading i mean there are guys that find the exploits and sell them mm. but from my perspective you you kind of need to know to whom to sell because you cannot mm. just pop uh, put it on a website so <laughs> it's it's a bit tricky it's like it's like you steal a mona lisa paint and Okay, what did, what do you do with it? Yeah, so, now what? Now, yeah. yeah, exactly. You. But my understanding is on, on the dark web, there are sites that mm-hmm. kind of like, I mean, the Silk Road existed for a while, not that, but something like that for security exploits that they can just be kind of bought and sold anonymously. Yeah, there yeah. are. Yeah, there yeah. are. I, I'm not aware how to do that. But uh, you can I, just you can it's OK, Eugene, you can just pretend and say that a friend <laughs> told me that this is how it works. So. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't have such a friend. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, there are sites, I think maybe Onion or something like that, but I don't know the process. But uh, I, So I remember, though, back in the day, back before fire was invented and computers were brand new and all that kind of stuff, that when people were trying to hack stuff, and usually, like, the, the hacker community was centered around games primarily, like, a long time ago, back when floppy disks were actually a thing, you know? And what their goal then was really just to putting graffiti on a bridge. They wanted to tag it, mm-hmm. and they wanted to get the credit that this hacking group did XYZ. And for a long time, there wasn't really any money involved. There was just kind of the street cred that you were able to crack this game. And then, you know, it was a, this, again, a parallel world of people trying to protect stuff and people trying to hack into it and the people trying to protect stuff were pretty much always acting reactively you know Mm. they're kind of chasing the people that were hacking stuff but at some point when real money became involved crime syndicates got into this you know where there were they were actually paying people to do this kind of thing and we've we've heard about situations where computers are taken over and they encrypt everything and then they force them to pay ransoms in order to get it unlocked and it's just kind of fascinating to me that it's a parallel upside down world where people are doing the opposite of what you're trying to do and they're they're trying to make money too (laughs) but by exploiting something that they have found and my understanding is that 
there are a couple different levels of it. So there's still people that just do this recreationally where they're just like, you know, I want to see what I can hack into and, and maybe I'll put my name on it and that'll be cool enough for me, you know? And then there are people that try to do it professionally where they actually try to make money from it. But how do they make money? So when I, when I compromise a whole bunch of Windows machines and I can turn it into a botnet, for instance, I mean, I, I understand that I could be playing Fortnite and DDoS my opponent to try and beat them, but that's kind of lame. You know, how would I actually make money if I had penetrated a bunch of computers and had a botnet? Do you have any, any insights mm. to that? I don't know how to make money with that. <laughs> Maybe because we should ask Patrick. I mean, he's the spam emails. They could they, so they could run a spam botnet. They could right. Um, start That's right. Mine, they get paid. Bitcoin. They could yeah. You can hack a SEO plugin. Like already mentioned. Sometimes they probably are doing it because of some principle that they have. They think they're doing the right thing because it's a mm. company that they don't believe is doing good in the world and they want to take it down or perhaps they have a grudge or both. And sometimes they're doing it. We had, I, mean, I know of one case where it was a revenge. <laughs> the person was angry at the company and wanted to do it. Wow. And we also had one client where the, the data was very, very sensitive and it was a personal issue that he had with a family member and wanted to find information about that family member and just went on a you know lone lone cowboy in in the wow. internet and tried to figure that out but my suspicion is that most people do it just because they can they mm. have there's no there's no punishment very rarely in any case and they get a kick out of it they're just going around trying to break into things because they're hooligans well and i think that eugene made an interesting point that it may depend on their age too because when you're young i think a motivation would just for attention or to feel powerful. Like, can you imagine how empowering you, are, you you must feel if you're a 15 year old kid that's, you know, sitting who knows where in the world just with a with a computer and you're able to deface like a major corporation's website? You got to feel super powerful, I would think. You know, I, exactly. I bet you that's one motivation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, when you're a kid, that's a good, uh, good point. Motivation and trying to show off. But when you're a bit when your age is a bit uh, higher i think money is the the yeah. key i mean definitely people do it for money yeah uh, then you want to pay the mortgage right you don't care that your name is up there in fact you probably don't want any publicity at exactly, all exactly exactly yeah. yeah you want zero publicity but i mean the funny thing is we used to call people like this we used to call them script kiddies right so these are the people they are not the people that have done the hard work actually figuring out the exploit. Exactly. They are not the ones with, you know, the knowledge of buffer overflows and all that kind of stuff that are able to make the exploit happen. What they do is, so they, the one person will actually crack it. And, and again, maybe they won't even want credit for it. Maybe they don't even want to be linked to it, but they'll release this hack into an underground community. And then all these script kitties will just pick it up and they won't even know how it works, exactly. but they yeah. will be the ones doing the exploit a lot of the times, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I can share a bit how it was with Ciomatic and the plugin. Oh, okay. Uh, or, right. or, or I shouldn't. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's totally fine. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Go ahead. Go okay. Ahead. So I think uh, beginning of. So let me let me set you up first, Eugene. So my first contact with you was on Twitter, and you were telling me about a client site, and you pointed out this vulnerability in Ciomatic, and that's how you and I started talking. So yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, so beginning of this year, I thought, let me see what's with this bug bounty platforms. And I, I set a scope to see if I can find anything. So it was January. I 
I spent time on trying to see how things are working and didn't find anything uh, useful. And then I got an invite for um, to to be able to do bug bounty on a, a site. It was a private program. That's I mean not everything is public when mm. you do bug bounty. So I got invited and luckily I guess that site was running uh, Craft CMS and um, I saw it. I mean I looked to see what what type of bugs craft cms had the past three four years and where yeah, did you I, look where did I, you look for that so i agree i acted like a script kitty because i didn't know but <laughs> uh, then i think it got more I, uh, where i looked over internet you there are cvs for every application you can search cv craft cms and normally you find everything and, and I that's thought, on meter right is where you're looking at cve.meter.org Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's for me. That's a good starting point. And so, if I, we go with the gold prospecting analogy, like this is your river, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, yeah. The, where you start it's panning like, it. Okay. Uh, yeah. This, it's like a discovery process, and mm-hmm. I found something like it was discovered two years ago, and I I thought that maybe there is some other endpoints with that issue. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at Seomatic and I looked at the code and I was able to see all the endpoints which were authenticated. I basically I dig through the code to to understand a bit what's there. Sure. Yeah, that's how I found the issue. And that's when I contacted you. Yep. I, I created that uh, CVE. I haven't made it public for like three months. It wasn't in my interest. And there are plenty of sites that had that issue. I even tried to contact a lot of them saying, look, you should update. Right. Um, good part is that many of them responded and took measures. Mm. And that's pretty me, much it. From Well, let me ask you a question. So you're saying you didn't publish this CVE. Mm-hmm. I've had a number of people contact me that they wanted to publish a CVE and they wanted me to do something to, you know, to say that they discovered it. Mm -hmm. What do they get out of that? Is it just a prestige thing? Can they use that to point to the stuff that they've discovered or does that result in money or what, what does that equate to? Because I had a hard time. I was contacted by a a bunch of people and a lot of them seemed like nonsense. They didn't Mm -hmm. seem, they weren't even vulnerabilities and that they were Mm -hmm. contacting me about. So it seemed like almost like a scam or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's a prestige thing for mm. me. I didn't, since I was doing it for the first time, that's the normal way to do it. If you find a bug, you create a CVE report. You don't need any permission. I mean, I was able to do it without you. I didn't want anything from you or stuff like that. But yeah, I noticed in, that. In my mind, the process was simple. Look, I create that, so uh, it's tracked somewhere. And then I thought, look, three months, uh, it should be plenty of time for people to update. And yeah, I haven't done anything there for... I, I think I found it in February, something mm. like that. And there was some back and forth with the fixes. I think I contacted you several times. Yeah. But in the end, it, it got deployed. And I think sometime in May, I... I just put a note, basically, which was the vulnerable endpoint. Right. And I think in June or July, a lot of people started picking that up. And it it must have gotten published somewhere. I know, like some some of these quote unquote script kiddies, they put out YouTube videos, and you know, there's probably some kind of underground Discord channel where they share all this stuff. You know, I'm I'm sure all these things happen. But and, and Ryan will get a kick out of this. So. One of the, I was actually stuck 
in the, I didn't branch a particular thing that I was working on. So I couldn't get the security fix out as quickly as I wanted to. I still got it out pretty quickly, but I thought you would get a kick out of that, Ryan, that, that, that kind of mistaken workflow had, had, uh, had affected me. Haste makes waste. That's what my third grade teacher always said. But so if I understand correctly, you mm-hmm. found a critical vulnerability in SEOmatic. You notified Andrew about it. You notified some companies who were running craft with that mm-hmm. plugin about yeah. it. You waited a certain amount of times so people could address it. And then the information became public and then people started exploiting it. Yeah. Um, so the people who did not update SEOmatic would have been vulnerable. And I think I saw in a few cases of people who were hacked because of it because they didn't update in time. That's right. So for example, example, if you are running, if you have a few dozen web apps out there that have dependencies, many dependencies, if you're, you know, a typical web developer, you're kind of just stitching dependencies together. What do you do? Do you need to do that? That's that's a whole topic for another. We're we're all knitting a quilt and it's just dependencies. (laughs) I don't know. I think everyone's just tab completing their entire apps now these days. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, but, but the question is, well, do you check for every web app what vulnerabilities each plugin or dependency has and how do you I mean that's so much work how do you identify the 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 critical path in that case Yeah it's a good good question so to be honest I even didn't heard about craft CMS until this year and that I like that fact I I just read a bit about it I like the concept and how it works compared with what I know, WordPress, for example. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's way better. And I said to myself, okay, let me let me see how does this work. And from the starting, yes, indeed, I installed Craft CMS on local, then I added plugins. I tried to play with them and see what endpoints they have, what what can I input? What are the outputs? And then which requests are authenticated, which are not? Yeah, I even, I think I reported some things to Craft CMS also, but they ignored them, which was not very cool. But yeah, that's very, <laughs> that's a different other story. Well, I think you were also very responsible in the way that you did it, right? So not only did you contact me, not only did you not use this information for your own personal whatever you'd want to do with it, but you also started contacting large companies that you found that had this thing running. So first of all, I'm curious, how did you find that they were using that particular thing? Like, how did you find these websites to begin with? What did you use there? Yeah, it's a good question. It's pretty simple. If if you look in the headers of Craft uh, CMS, there is a header powered by Craft CMS or Seomatic, mm-hmm. something like that. And mm-hmm. there are crawlers like Shodan, for example, and they basically log just basic requests to the site, like a get or a head request. And they have a big database of sites. And you just search there for Seomatic and you can get tons of sites. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, I reported this to Craft CMS and they disabled that to do not be enabled by default. <laughs> mm. I think that's one thing they did. No, okay. So I've got a question about that because this is something that I'm curious about. Because my understanding is, like, I understand that anything that you can use to fingerprint a website, I understand that that will help you a little bit from a security via uh, through obscurity point of view. 
right? So, but also it's been drilled into my head that security through obscurity is not security, right? It's just, <laughs> it's just obscuring it. And, exactly. a, and a lot of the scripts that I've seen, so we all see it. Like if we have a, a website and we look at the, the traffic logs in there, we see just a metric ass ton of logs of people hitting wpadmin.php, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's not a WordPress site. There's nothing that identifies it as a WordPress site. So my That's understanding- the of the door handles. <laughs> yeah. Going well, up down the street and checking to see if you can open their door. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the, and, and that's my understanding is that the way a lot of these, the way a lot of this works is an exploit is found. And then you have these spidering services that you can spin up that can look for that vulnerability. But my understanding about some of the ones that I've seen in terms of how they work is they don't even care about the header responses. They don't even look at that. They just go in and they try this, whatever the vulnerability du jour is, mm. they just go in there and try it. Like they like just blindly try it. Yeah. Um, is that your experience as well? Yeah, I noticed that also. I mean, for me, it doesn't maybe the idea here is that there are public words lists, endpoints like WP admin, mm-hmm. and yep. people just do random targets and hope something will be there. I don't, for me, it doesn't, doesn't make sense to do that because I'm more, I like more to look at one target and focus on that. Right. But people who have time to, run scanners and look at the logs and do that it's i mean i have i'm not i don't find any interest in doing that well here's the fun thing so we're all used to these crazy automation tools that we have whether it's continuous integration whether it's ansible for deploying stuff like all these crazy tools we have for automating things understand that a lot of these automation tools or at least in the spirit of them have also made it into the black hat world and so my understanding about the way that some of the works is like a a new security vulnerability is found, maybe it gets shared around. And sometimes there are local hacker discussions and on discord, sometimes it's global, you know, whatever, but a new vulnerability is found. And what ends up happening is they plug that vulnerability into these spider things, right? And they just let it run. And it will come back and deliver to them a list of harvested results that they can just do stuff with. And that's why... I don't know. And maybe I'm just wrong on this, but that's why I don't love the idea of security through obscurity in terms of like disabling the header, but maybe it does at least get rid of the low hanging fruit. I mean, I don't know. Tell, tell me, Eugene, you know, you're the one that does this for a living. Tell me. I'm not doing for a living. That's the whole point. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do it for a living. Okay, but you you are doing it from a capacity that people hire you to do this. No one's hiring me to do this. So tell me what you what your opinion is. Yeah, my opinion is is that I prefer to have one target. If I mm-hmm. see that it's craft CMS, then I prepare a word list only with things related to craft CMS, and that's it. I mean, there is no point of flooding that server with useless requests. Mm-hmm. But I, I get your point. Disabling a header, it won't help in on the big picture because you, you still can get hit. But well, and that's the main thing is that that was just my understanding. And from what I've seen, that that's how these things work. Like the vulnerability is found and they don't look for viable candidates. They just like crawl the internet the same way Google crawls it because lots of people do this. They just turn off, you know, the Nginx fingerprints. They turn off headers that are coming in there and they're like, okay, you know, it's it's kind of like in the horror movie where you, you hide in the cabinet somewhere and you're like, I hope he doesn't find me, but the guy with the knife always finds him. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 you, you're right. I mean, headers aren't small 
think that mm. eventually we'll get kit. Actually, I was able to find a target that had those headers disabled. Mm. How did you do that? How I did that. Ah, yeah, there was another thing in the header, some, something related to session cookie. Mm. <laughs> so it's not only the header, I think yep. the cookie has craft something in it. So that's another, I guess not everyone had thought about that. To, yeah, to so change. you can you can disable headers, mm -hmm. but then there are other ways it can be fingerprinted by, by the exactly. session cookie. Yeah. Craft even has they call it uh, Craft Session Cookie. I think is what they name it. So that pretty clearly identifies it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You could obfuscate that, but then also if a bot really wanted to, it could look at the shape of the cookie and what's in it, and it could fingerprint it that way. I guess you know. Yeah, in the, it's fine disabling this stuff as long end, as it doesn't make you complacent. Yeah, in the end, you need to update. I mean, yeah, sure. I would, <laughs> I mean, for me, it was hard to understand why it took for big companies that it took them two months to update one mm. plugin. Mm. I, it's, I don't understand this one. I mean, for the <laughs> company I work, whenever I, I was able to find such thing in one, two days maximum, they sold it because it's high risk. And that issue was able, uh, with that issue, we can achieve remote code execution. We can download stuff on the server. We can, I don't know if you, I think Jennifer mentioned about Bitcoin miners and so on. Yeah. Well, maybe Ryan can give us some insight here. So Ryan, why might you know about a vulnerability, but not update something immediately? Like what would be the reasonings behind that? <laughs> um... That's a good question. I mean, you could have, I mean, it depends on your development workflow. You, you could have things like in queue to be launched. And last night we did a live stream. We talked about blocking the develop branch, you know, right. due to a Git workflow. Yep. And suddenly you have your, your develop branch all locked up. Granted, you know, there is this concept called a hotfix. So mm -hmm. it's probably a pretty lame excuse. I can't really think of like, I'm not, I'm trying to think of a way to like justify someone not doing it <laughs> other than just, just not getting to it, not hearing about it. Well, I especially in, 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 with something like Craft, where or with SEOmatic, where it really is just like a, a plugin update. Right. Um, it's not. It's not like there's a library vulnerability that requires you to to rewrite like vast amounts exactly. of code. And so I don't it, sh it should be pretty straightforward, right? That's the advantage yeah. of something like Craft and the plugin architecture is that you should just be able to update. But you know, I, I think a lot of people are in the position with sites where. A is that the site might be fairly complex to update because they don't update it often. So maybe there's several versions behind and they're in order to get that SEOmatic update, they would they would have to bump up some other things. It could be that a lot of companies use consultants to build websites. They may not have mm. anyone on maintenance agreement. If you're a consultant, sell maintenance agreements. It's actually in the best interest of your clients. Yeah. So so those companies might not know because they're not getting the emails. Maybe they didn't buy the licenses, right? I, I know that Kraft sent out a whole bunch of notifications about it to right. people that actually had licenses to be proactive uh, about it. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons. I think the weakest point is probably, I mean, laziness, right? But also the real one is are the people that don't have that use the consultant and just don't have uh, any, anyone there to actually make those changes. And that's then you have to spin up a project. You have to like it's yeah. yeah. So those would be mine. I think some of it is probably human nature too, right? Like sure. we we're all inclined to believe like it's probably it's not going to happen to me, right? You know, <laughs> it's the same reason why you'll see people going around without masks on. You know what I mean? They're just like, well, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> you know, that's something that that it's other invisible. people get. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, I mean that makes sense, and I agree with you. I mean, it's yeah. something that I preach all the time is that if you want to avoid issues, you should make the work updating should be small. 
And in order to make the work updating small, you have to update frequently because exactly. if the if the update is frequent, it's a very small thing that changes and it's very easy if there's a problem to fix it. If you wait for two years, you haven't updated your site in two years, you haven't updated the operating system in two years, a security vulnerability comes out, it actually could be a, a, a nightmare to get everything updated because then you've got dependencies upon dependencies and the number of things that has changed grows astronomically to the point where it's like a web of connected things and it's going to be much more difficult to do. Jennifer, you're, you're nodding your head like you have encountered this. Oh, no, I always update everything as soon as the updates come out. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I was actually just thinking that for the from the developer's perspective, I mean, from the listeners, probably craft CMS developers or similar who make a bunch of apps. Up until now, we've basically just told them that, well, all they have to do is update their plugins. I mean, there's a million other things that they need to do. The responsibility isn't just on Andrew to fix SEOmatic and for us to update. There's so many other ways that <laughs> our web apps need to be hardened that we can't just rely on craft and on the plugin developers to make sure that they're, that they're hardened. Mm -hmm. That was just I was wondering if you, in your experience, if you've seen any vulnerabilities that are the most common. I mean, one thing out of the box, we can just tell people to not use WordPress and that'll solve 90% of the problems. <laughs> um, but but I mean, is, is remote code execution really that common? Or is it SQL injection attacks, cross-site scripting? What's the, in your experience, what do we need to look out for in our day-to-day -day coding experience? We're just making web apps for clients. I think remote code execution is like the top top mm. top end i mean if you get that it's um, yes game over but i wouldn't focus too much on the sql in injections i think the libraries that that are being used now it's pretty tough to to achieve sql injection but that used uh, to be a big thing right it used to be like you is. would see sql injections yeah. all over the place but it sounds like the response happened where there's just like okay now we know what we need to do as a best practice to prevent that is that right correct correct and i think nowadays there are vulnerabilities like server side template injections like the mm. one i found it's mm, this one is like, I think it's a newer method. It has only two, three years, I, I think. But um, I don't know. I think you shouldn't look at a method. You should be aware that whenever you input uh, something, you, sh you should yeah. think, oh, okay, I'm coding this part. Then uh, I should think a bit. Uh, you don't need to spend too much time. But I, I bet that if every developer will spend like two hours beginning of the project to increase awareness of things that can happen it would be it, it, it would be good and I, I think another important aspect is to to have security people in the development process I mean not like developing but for the company I work it, it's helpful to have another set of eyes looking at those aspects right. it's tough it's tough I mean I saw a lot of cases where companies don't really want to involve security people on this but whenever something bad happens oh look <laughs> uh, we need we needed that so right uh, it will change i think in a couple of years security will be part of the development process more and more mm. But is that just an arms race? You know, I mean, is it because I would think that software being software mm -hmm. 
in that it's so complicated and it's only getting more and more complicated as Jennifer pointed out that we're stitching together packages. Like if something in the base level that tons of people are using, they end up finding some kind of an exploit in like there are going to be a whole lot of websites and applications that are going to be completely screwed. And there's, there's lots of layers in that, that that can happen. Is it an arms race that's ever going to end in terms Mm. of we're going to feel more comfortable or is it just going to escalate up and up? I think it takes time as it happened with the SQL injections. When Mm. a couple of years ago, there were plenty, every site had that issue. But now it's, mm, I think there is a top top 10 vulnerabilities, WOW WASP. And there you can see that in the past years, SQL injections haven't been so important. I mean, it's reduced the attack. And I, I bet it will happen the same with whatever methods are this year or whatever methods are found. But then they move on to something else. Yes. I I feel like, this is my personal view, but I feel like as long as there is money involved, people are going to find ways. Like if there's a lot of money involved to be gained in locking up an entire city's computer systems and holding Mm -hmm. them ransom for millions Mm -hmm. of dollars, people are going to put a lot of effort into trying to figure out ways to do that. And no repercussions. And it's just, (laughs) that's exactly, there's very little deterrence to do this. Right. So maybe to share a a story. So I think last year there was a method found that allows you to add an extra header to the request. Mm -hmm. Like let's say content type or content length. You You double that header and with this method, you were able to trick the server to respond to you with an internal endpoint. I'm just oh. giving the the big picture. Yep. And I think from last year and this year, the, there are a lot of big sites vulnerable to that. Hmm. And already this year, is you won't find uh, right. such targets because the measures were already taken and they were in place. I think it will happen the same with whatever will happen but yeah methods will appear and unfortunately you won't be able to protect from everything we've even seen stuff like the fbi has reportedly paid money to some underground organization for a hack that will let them exploit a specific iphone version Mm -hmm. to hack into it and get into there you know what i mean so it's not even just ah, it's just whenever there is a sufficient motivation whether that is money or something else like people are going to put a lot of effort into it and it feels like you're right whatever people were doing this year next year they're not going to be doing that because we we will have solved for that but they'll be on to the next thing i feel like Mm -hmm. you know exactly yeah well, it's good for you from a job security point of view. Right? <laughs> <laughs> There'll be yeah. always more. I think more it's, a, it's a good uh, it's a good place to be in this year's uh, mm. and the next years that will come. So, what do you think, Jennifer? You do a lot of sensitive work. Do you have any questions for Eugene that you you want to get out there? Like, have you ever thought about, for instance, as part of your development process, getting someone in there at that point, or do you wait until a little bit further along, or, or how does it work for you? We don't, during the development process, other than consult our own experience and read online mm. about what we should be watching out for, the, right. we use Acunetic. Mm-hmm. They have software that will do penetration testing and they release reports. We've, we have attend a few webinars on the topic. I mean, it, we have a lot to do. This is, we should develop more time. Or we should put in more time to this, but unfortunately we can't. Um, I'd love to have someone come in and look at everything and make sure that we're doing things properly, but it's also quite expensive. So we're trying right. to allocate resources best we can. But I mean, I mean, I can say that the things we, we do, we try to hammer down 
our servers to make sure that we immediately block people who are trying to access the WP admin. We lock people out. We even lock out our own clients if they tr try for five five password attempts and we'll lock them out. We require them to change their passwords even though they hate us for it. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> it's, it, they need to be responsible for this sensitive data too. Right. Um, we do things, um, we respond to the, the reports that we get. For example, we know, we, this was a long, 10 years ago, but at one point it was found that people could, if they wanted to in the file uploads, execute PHP files. So we locked that down, um, sort of a, a rookie error there. Uh, we also anonymize data before we even look at it. And some data fields, we try not to store sensitive data, but if we have to, we have that encrypted and we don't allow even team members to access that data. It's all scrambled and anonymized where we can. We back everything up all the time, log things on the servers, and we buy insurance. So if right. we, I think, you know, if we get hacked, it, whose fault is it? We try to make sure that, well, we have, we're not going to go bankrupt because somebody, some goon broke into our house and took our stuff. So that's, that's about what we do. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of stuff. I'd love to have the expert go in and tell us that 20 things are missing, but that's probably it for now. I think uh, two things I would recommend to introduce security as part of the development, plus do, I don't know if you have CI CD pipelines, but there should be some static analysis uh, mm. on the code. So as like sooner, Scrutinizer or Travis yeah. or Circle or one of those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But there are tools that do static analysis from the security perspective. And if you run those in your pipelines, it, I think it's good. And another suggestion would be to start a bug bounty program. I mean, you don't need to pay the guys. You make it private, private, and you invite only a couple of kids or I don't know, but those will put the time. And I think on the long term, it will help. It won't protect you 100% to have bug bounty program, but you still need to take proper measures. But I think it's good just because whoever does bug bounty is aware of new things that pop up. I love the idea of having unpaid labor. It sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you got to pay the bounty. I think that's yeah. the whole point. Is you... okay. Yeah, yeah. You can give them swags or like a, it, it might be... What, like a Starbucks gift card? What are you yeah, doing? yeah. You can buy, <laughs> oh, okay. uh, buy them coffee. You can, I mean, there are people respect that. I mean, from the bug bounty community. Yeah. Both of you made a really interesting point that I'm going to try to tie it together. So Jennifer, obviously you're a professional and you try to use best security practices everywhere you can, but ultimately if it's not in the client budget, you can't justify spending that time, right? So, and this gets back to also what you were saying, Eugene, is like you're, you're shocked that it took these large companies months to update stuff. I mean, at some point we're going to do the best that we can do. And it reminds me of web performance, for instance, like no, no one wants to put out a site that doesn't perform well. But if there's no client budget for it, there's no client budget. We can do our best. We try to sell them on it. Web performance matters. We try to sell them on it. Information security matters. Like we, we should devote this amount of budget to the security part of the process. And we try to pitch it to them. But if they don't pay the money, is it our fault? What do you think, Jennifer? If they don't pay the money, is it our fault? Um, 
You know what I mean? Like if, if the budget is, if the budget isn't coming from the client, like what you're obviously not going to be irresponsible, but if they're not paying you to do the kind of real probing that you feel you should be doing, like what, what can you do? Yeah. I think there's some balance there. I think when we offer a client a product and we're going to, we're going to create a, a case management system for your social workers, for example, they are going to be able to pay a certain amount and we're going to be able to put in a certain amount of time. And I can't tell them that, oh, well, you're not paying enough, so your data is not safe. Right. I have to be able to reassure them that we're doing these 20 things to keep your data safe. And mm. here are the 10 things that you can do. And it's never guaranteed that it will be safe, but we think that we're doing a we're doing a reasonable amount and it's never going to be fully safe. As we talked about, there's always right. going to be someone who's going to be able to hack in. So there just has to be a, an agreement on what's reasonable. And I think that it's, it's hard for clients to understand that. Right. I, I don't want to say, well, you need to spend an extra $20,000 on this, on this thing, because I don't think that they'll really get it. That they, they all say, well, that doesn't, that's so expensive. That doesn't make sense. So it's some. It's sort of a cost that we eat because I don't want to tell them that they need to pay for security. They 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 expect it. <laughs> they like I, I, the... it's like building them a house and saying, oh, well, you know, you got to pay for the security guard. Well, what yeah. do you mean? Like, <laughs> you put locks well, on the house, right? Well, also, ironically, if you do your job well, and also if Eugene does his job well, nobody notices. Right. So the yeah. idea is like, if you have done a good job with the security, nobody like it's almost as if. It right. Never yeah. It's happened. not like the, the, I was going to I was going to be the contrarian and say, well, you, like we don't we don't have to pitch the client on the idea of building like a CSS file that's going to show the design. Right. Yeah. So I think and I say this like, you know, semi seriously, but also understanding like the realities of the consulting business, but also that to answer your original question, Andrew, I do think it's actually on the consultants. I don't think it's on the consultants to deliver something that that is 100% risk free. I think that's, that's, as Jen said, that's why we have insurance and other- It also doesn't it, exist. Right. But it, it is on us to actually know how to sell projects hmm. in a way that we're you're where you're putting like the project forward in a way that that you think is is the best fit like if you owned a paint store you don't sell anyone any lead paint <laughs> <laughs> right or or even different you don't sell you you don't sell products that you don't think are good right like mm -hmm. you wouldn't sell crap paint and and foam brushes sorry for the for big foam brush, but you wouldn't sell that kind of stuff if you don't think it's a good way of applying the paint and getting the optimum result. What do you, why are you talking bad about Walmart? I didn't, I have, I have foam brushes in my garage. They're great for. <laughs> no, you say don't Danish buy oil. crap product, but you, I mean, it sounds like you're, yeah, no, I mean, like you're I, I didn't, Walmart, I didn't say honest. anything like that, but, um, okay. but I, I do think it's important to, if you're a company that, that security, when you're building sites for clients and security is really important, then that gets built in into the budget. Maybe there's somewhere else that you can like cut to make to make that more important. In general, I think that we we vastly undersell the services that we provide. So mm -hmm. and maybe this becomes one of the other things. I mean, we have a whole a whole generation of front end developers that now now demand more than some of the most seasoned back end developers. I mean, like I feel like we can we can fit in security. So yeah, if it's a priority. Well, well let then... me ask you an ethical question then. Yeah, I'm afraid what I've just opened myself up to. Go ahead. I'm gonna ask you, well, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna ask you this too. So let's say that you you've got a family to feed 
and you're an independent developer, you're a consultant, and a company comes to you and they want you to build this site and it deals with sensitive information. And you tell them, you know, it's going to cost you $30,000 to build this site. And they see a line item on there mm-hmm. for $10,000 that's security auditing and hardening and that kind of stuff. And they come back to you and they say, this is great, Ryan, but we don't care about the security. Chop that off. Will you do it for $20,000, even though you feel it would be completely irresponsible with the data that people are going to be putting in there if you did it that way? Ryan first. I would not. And if for some reason I had to, there would be an extended waiver that they would have to sign that I hmm. am absolved of all, right. uh, all all responsibility. But no, probably not. I mean, that would that would be like saying... Like when I did a lot of consulting, I always, it's like with payment terms, right? I I think a good way to go is half in the beginning, half in 45 days, regardless of the length of the project, something like that, Mm -hmm. right? It's pretty aggressive, but it's, but it's just like you set your, your line in the sand for what really matters to you and, and for your business. And if security is that, then no, I wouldn't do it. But you've got a child and you don't want them to go hungry and you don't know where the, the food is going to be coming from. If you don't take this job, you still are going to say no. <laughs> I'm still going to, I'm still going to say no, but okay. I, I'm, yeah, I, that's, I would say no. But again, I'm saying that from, from a, a position a, a, of privilege, an extremely Ryan. fortunate position to, to even have that take, but yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. What do you think? What do you think, Jennibel? I'm asking you the same question. You got a 30K job coming in. They want to cut the 10K off, which is the security, penetration, testing, auditing, that kind of stuff that you feel it really needs because it's dealing with sensitive, you know, information, maybe kids, that type of credit cards, you know, whatever, whatever is considered super sensitive. And you've got to pay your rent in New York City for your luxurious penthouse suite apartment that you've got. Do you take the job? You know, technically this is a penthouse. <laughs> I I can tell. (laughs) Um, So interesting. It's an interesting question. I'm trying to think if I'd ever be in that scenario. I I think the answer is probably no, because it's not just, what about the kids? What about their data? I Mm -hmm. mean, I'm not going to do that to to children. I don't want their data exposed on the internet. I wouldn't want this client to go to anyone else and have them do it for that. So maybe I'd be a sucker and do it for 20 and give them the thing that they need if I'm being a you know, Mother Teresa sort. Right. No, I, I, I try not. I, I don't work with clients unless. We're but couldn't you rationalize it? Couldn't you? Couldn't you rationalize it being like, well, things will probably be okay. No, no, not with not with <laughs> sensitive data, not with children data, or not with mm. stuff on. Like I have, I work with women centers that serve women who are in halfway houses. There's absolutely no way I'm going to let anyone find out the locations of those. It's just, it's just right. never going to happen. Right. Um, right. I wouldn't work with a client like that. And I, I, I'm, I guess I'm lucky enough that I have the ability to say no to clients. I don't need, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to no. Add, that, I think that's where I would draw the line is doing things that I think is unethical. unethical yeah. And you, and you said, well, maybe someone else will do it. Right. So, you know, you can't be thinking about things that you don't control. The only thing you can do is saying, I am not going to make this world worse. You know, someone else might, but I'm not going to, you know, that's my opinion anyway. But I, I agree with you. I agree with you on that. But I think uh, that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. To have every episode sent to your podcast player, subscribe via RSS or iTunes. And we'd love to continue the conversation. Leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website or find us on Twitter at devmode.fm. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Jennifer Bloomberg. I'm Ryan Ireland. And thank you, Eugene, for coming on. Thank you also.
And yes, I know that's the wrong music. I'm going to have to go back in and, and edit it anyway. I so can't it hear it matter. this time either. You okay. can't hear it? Okay. Well, maybe there's... Oh, God. I don't know. Hopefully everything, hopefully everything worked all right. But that was really fun, Eugene. I enjoyed that. Do you, what did you guys think? Do you enjoy it, Jennifer? Yeah, very much. It's an interesting topic. I think we should talk about it more. There's so many other things we could go into, even that yeah. like more on the social engineering side of it. And also we could go through the list of the specific things that developers always screw up. Like that would yeah. be really yeah. helpful for people. I think this is, it, it's worth a version two, I think. The well, social engineering we'll thing yeah. I, I was going to bring up, but Andrew, your question about, why don't people update? I mean, there that is kind of you know, a little, there's a little bit of the social engineering there too, right? Of not just trying to trick people, but why? Don't